I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Today, we're visiting with Phyllis Klein out in Palo Alto, California. Her poetry has been published in a wide variety of literary journals and anthologies. She was a finalist in the Carolyn Forche Humanitarian Poetry Contest just back in 2019. And her new book, we're going to be hearing poems from the new book, is called Full Moon Herald. It's from Grayson Press. And she says, writing is an artistic dialogue between author and readers, an intimate relationship building process that fosters healing on many levels. And so I thought actually, Phyllis, I'd ask you about that statement, about how you view that, about it building a relationship, et cetera. Well, thanks. Yeah, and thanks for having me. Um, so I guess that uh, it speaks to my background as a psychotherapist and also a poetry therapist. Um, and uh, the way that I got interested in um, poetic dialogue, as I call it, is um, st uh, started with um, when I was uh, getting uh, certified as a poetry therapist. And my mentor, Perry Longo, and I developed a workshop which we called poetic dialogue and and um, we had people pair up and interview each other and then each one wrote a poem for the other one based on what they and we gave them questions to use and this that workshop actually really affected me and stayed with me in a, in a really deep way and i began to think about writing poetry as uh, a dialogue that I could have with another poet. So, um, so I often start by looking at a, just a poem that I want to read. I have a lot of books. I get poetry in my inbox, you know, mega doses of poetry. And so I start to look at it. And then I try to start having a conversation. It's like, well, what do I want to talk about? What does this poem want to talk about? How do I connect a little bit with either the style of the poem or, uh, or what the poem has to say? And, um, and then it becomes a dialogue. So then I'm having a dialogue with myself about whatever I'm thinking about. And then from there, you know, the next step, then once it's written, then the next step is the person who reads it and then, or hears it and then I'm having a dialogue with them. And then maybe it's causing them to have a dialogue with themselves. And so the process just keeps going on and on. Um, and so, uh, I, do, I do find it really healing. And so you're definitely not the kind of poet who writes a poem just to play with words. You would not uh, be a, a language poet. <laughs> maybe sometimes, you know, because I tend to also like variety. So every once in a while, I'll do something totally different, right? Mm. Um, and sometimes that really does appeal to me, yeah. But, but in general, I'm more of that, looking for more of the emotional con connection, the empathic connection. I think that goes a lot into the fact that I'm a therapist and... You know, I'm also work very much with trauma, and um, and it's all about healing for me. That's that's really important. I know some people believe that just writing about the trauma, that right there, that's good for you. 
that'll somehow improve things. Um, do you believe that? Oh, yeah. I think any way of getting it out of you and onto a page is really helpful. Um, I think there are some ways where, especially if you're working uh, with poetry, but any form of writing, really, um, uh, there's a way that as if you let, if you can get into a, a frame or a frame of mind or a, a kind of a stream of uh, connectedness with what with yourself, um, it, it could be a flow there that takes you somewhere you weren't expecting. And then that also adds to the healing, like uh, some way that you just let the let the words take you somewhere. And then they do. And then you're really surprised about it. And in terms of poetry, that could be a turn in the poem that is, you know, really uh, strengthens the poem a lot. Mm. Do you have a poem that kind of relates to what we're saying here that you'd like to read? Okay, well, um, well, okay, so let me say, um, I'll, I wanna, I, I'd like to read you different uh, poems with different um, uh, emotional content. That's really important to me. And authenticity is really important to me in terms of being honest. Um, I think that's also very healing for trauma. Um, and, uh, and so the only request I have is that we end on something that's hopeful. <laughs> so if I, if okay. I bring up poetry that's, um, you know, that's a little bit uh, difficult emotionally, and it might even leave us there, um, you know, then um, I, I'd like to have one at the end that, that takes okay. us to a, yeah. So, um, so the one that I'm thinking of that started out, um, uh, I'll, I'll read you one. I wasn't even thinking of reading this first, but so let me say that my book is set up in, um, it's set up like a newspaper. So the, the chapters are actually um, uh, um, he uh, headings in a newspaper. So for instance, we have international news, national news, uh, features, weather, crime, etc. So health, etc. Book, book review. So, um, so the one that I'm thinking of is in the national news section, uh, and um, let me get to the page. Um, <clears throat> so this I started out wanting to write about uh, the wall. The infamous wall. I don't have to explain that anymore. <laughs> Since it's a poem, my book is a poem. It's a book about poetry about the news. So, um, and actually, this is kind of wordplay, um, and uh, it's kind of surprising where it took me. So that's kind of what you were asking mm -hmm. about, yeah. So the title of the poem is a plasterboard wood terracotta. How many times a day do you hit your own brick wall? Your insides pounding into their limitations like heat banging up against cold. Your inability to know the future, comprehend the past. The architecture of your skin and bones adorning you, deterring you. Every room a bedroom with a balcony and a seasonal view or inward facing paintings or blank or wallpapered, painted, muraled. Where are your partitions? Some things remembered, others folded up in a suitcase 
in a storage locker. Do you need a remodel? The gusts of your chronology doing their damage. There are glass walls also known as windows. You looking out, others looking in, vice versa. What do we really know of ourselves, each other? Are boundaries so variable, thick with concrete, or fences at the perimeters of things? Seawalls, dikes, trying to hold back the agitated deep, the building, the taking down, the hope for understanding. Yeah. Now, where, where, where was it that you started, you know, going off? Or can you pinpoint that, really? Um, let's see. You sort um, of like heard you start, and then what happened? Well, I think I really had intended to write about the wall. So I think the very beginning is where I started taking off from that, because <laughs> it became my own brick wall. It's like I sat down to write the poem, and I immediately hit my own brick wall. Like, I just can't write about this. And that, that happens a lot when you, when, for me, when I'm trying to write about the news, because it's all so depressing, I, you know. And so uh, there's so much despair and grief that, uh, um, especially nowadays, but, um, but in general, um, we're, we're always listening to bad news. So, um, <clears throat> so, yeah, so that's where the first surprise was, that I was hitting my own brick wall. <laughs> and then I, I guess I went from there. I started to think about, well, what are the, all the different kinds of walls? And then it became kind of like a juxtaposition of one thing versus another, heat against cold, um, the future versus the past, the skin of your, uh, the skin, your skin and bones adorning you, deterring you. So, um, so the whole, it's a whole dichotomy between, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, 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 the ways that our country is so divided, you know, and that was showing up here in that way. So, so that's where it already begun to take off. And then, um, and then remodeling the house, it just kind of went on from there. And then I think the, the last surprise was, um, that there would be hope, um, you know, that, that, that if you think about yeah. it, you know, whatever gets built is eventually going to come down. Everything comes down. And so in a way that's really depressing, but in another way that's kind of hopeful, yeah. especially when it comes to a wall that we don't really need in <laughs> right, my humble right. opinion. Yeah. 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 Now that's really interesting. And this is one of the, one of the times when I, I do this and folks, now that you've heard what's just been said, what Phyllis just said, you would probably hear the poem quite differently if you went back and listened again, after you hear the whole episode, of course. But if you went back and heard that poem again, with those things in mind, you'd get a whole additional uh, meanings, which is, is good, and learning, learning something about the poetic process and how it, how it creates a poem. That's beautiful, because you hit the wall, and then you... You had the good sense to say, oh, the wall, hit the wall, and not stop, but to just acknowledge it. It's almost like meditation. You acknowledge it and move on. Yeah, and that's yeah. very cool. It's very much like that for me. Well, and then talking to you about it, I, I had, you know, even some new ideas that I wouldn't have thought of before. So hmm. that's cool. Well, let's hear another one. Okay. All right. So, um, 
Okay, so let me take you to a dark one. Might as well get that over with now. <laughs> so the crime section, you should not read that before bed. And I also say it's, you know, it's kind of like a day at the office for a psychotherapist working with trauma. So, um, so this one I wrote for, um, it was written for uh, Lazy Ford, Christine Lazy Ford. And then it, it became a, a poem for, um, for anyone who's been traumatized in that way. Um, so the poem is called Life is Glass. And there's an epigraph that comes from uh, Neil, Neil Gaiman, uh, a short, short stories that he wrote called Fragile Things. There are so many fragile things after all. People break so easily and so do dreams and hearts. <clears throat> Life is glass. Breaking, buzz of a bone fractured Burst of a bowl hitting the floor, boom of a heart splitting. Please like me, a dream as it shatters. Please think I'm good. Whistle of a word as it severs from itself into the air, of a scream demolished. Moments of breaking, hand over the mouth, Gagging, pushed into a room, door locked from the inside, parties, drinking. Why did I do that? The seconds it takes to get lost. Smash of consciousness as it disappears. Disillusions waking croak. Where are my clothes? Fragmentation into terror. How it happens, remembering, forgetting. Was I drugged? After school, at a party, pungency of impact, taste without permission. No proof. In the sacristy, in a back seat, a hotel or a bedroom, did it happen? Breaking, dust of collision, whiff of dreams, burning, nightmares strike, symbols snarl in the brain. I'm repulsive floating above it all in a disappeared body. Why she didn't tell, pretend. It didn't happen. No one will swallow it. He threatened, laughed, was stronger, bigger. It's my fault, they won't believe me. Pretend, have to see him sneer, hide it. What happens next? Cracks, panic, a plane taking off in the gut, armor, as involuntary as neurons, saying run, but all there is is a wall. Looking okay, nobody knows. Get over it. What is PTSD? The thing that won't leave the image, the smell, the taste, that's a plague. The crush of shame, lack of sleep. When is it over? Feeling it, numbing it, not understanding yet that greatness can come from damage. Yes, that, that is a downer. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I don't know if that was job. too heavy. Yeah. It's a poet's yeah. job to confront everything. 
Well, so. right, especially me, the, the therapist, yeah. So the last, so the turn in that poem, the last line, um, mm. not understanding yet that greatness can come from damage. I mean, to me, that's really, really important not to forget about that. And it's also really important that this goes out and that we speak about it, you know, as much of a downer as it, as it is. Yeah. So, yeah, you made me feel comfortable enough to read it. So oh, thank glad, you for that. Because it's, yeah. I'm glad for people to hear it. I hope uh, so. I hope it won't be too upsetting, yeah? But people go through this every day, right? Yeah. So All it's kind of like seeing that cop, you know, murder that man. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that was amazing. That was just, right? I haven't been able well, to write about that yet. I mean, really, yeah. Mm-hmm. Can't write about that yet. Yeah, a televised murder. Mm -hmm. Well, let's so, just move on to another poem. Yeah, <laughs> really. Okay, we did well on it. Everybody got the point. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let me let me read one. Mm -hmm. So you know, there's good news in the newspaper, mm. and um, and I have, I do actually have some good news in here, um, uh, and um, so I want to read you this one because. Um, well, actually, uh, Beth, let me read you one that, um, let me think. So I'm going to read you one that, um, it's also, uh, it's a sad story, um, but, um, but it's, I think it's really good news. So this one is in the opinion section. This is where I got to put in whatever I wanted. I tried to put the good news back there, some of it. And this is called A Compassionate Judge at the Veterans Court. Hmm. And um, it's, a, it's a, a news story, another real story, um, about a judge in Washington, D.C. And I think the poem explains the story pretty well. So if you have questions afterwards, you know, please ask. Sure. So the, the uh, epigraph is, After sentencing Sergeant Joseph Cerna, on a parole violation, Judge Lou Oliveira follows him into his jail cell. And so when the judge gets into the cell with the man he has just sentenced to 24 hours in jail, the man asks for the whole day. And the judge says, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Like a father who says, he's my son and I won't see him fall. And a son who isn't alone, locked down in the dark with his terror. Because the judge has been to war too, and knows there are wounds that aren't visible. Because the man, two decades in the military, knows another soldier died for him in combat, and lives crushed under this, and not only this. And a judge can be a brother to a man who has lost his way, as two oak trees in a meadow can be connected by their roots. The way a man who has lost his way can be a messenger to remind us there is so much more to know about what's on the inside. Because we are so ready to skate on the surface of our minds, because we can do so much more to be relatives in the fields of trees, beauty, and devastation 
we call home. Mm. Yeah. It wasn't clear, did the judge was going to stay with him the whole 24 hours? Yes. Whoa, what a, what a thing to do. Yeah, yeah, he uh, got in the cell. So yeah. he knew this guy, um, huh. and um, he had been, uh, it, the, the, um, so the man that he sentenced, the reason he sentenced him was because he broke his parole, um, mm. uh, because he's an alcoholic and he was not allowed to drink. So the judge knew he had to do something, but he had a relationship with everybody in that court. He knew them all because they were all veterans, and the judge mm. was a veteran. So um, he knew that this man had PTSD, and if he stuck him in a cell overnight by himself, yeah. it was going to really devastate him. So he said, I'll just come into the cell with you for the whole day, the 24 hours. He just got in there. Great. Yeah. There you go. There is good news. There is some good news. <laughs> there is good news. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm glad you included that section. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. 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 Really well, a good idea. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. To make there's sure you more balance it. Too. Yeah. Sure. Uh huh. Okay. Well. Well, we. You want to end on an uplift? Well, of course, you have time for another one to end on an uplifting note. Uh, okay. Sure. So I want to be sure you get to do that, and not that this wasn't very good news. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So. Um, Let's see. Um, yeah, okay, so this, this uh, the one I'll end on, um, so there is a little bit of a um, surprise in this one um, about something that just came to me when I was writing the poem. Um, this is in the arts and entertainment section, and actually um, this is something I found... Um, Oh, I don't know. I saw it somewhere in my inbox and in my email. And um, is it is again a news story about a man in Thailand who plays piano for elephants? Now, um, <laughs> what he's doing is he's actually apologizing to the elephants um, because um, they've been abused. And so you can see that, you know, my heart goes out for people who have been hurt. Um, and um, so this man is a very accomplished pianist. He's well known on the internet for his uh, piano playing. And he also does this volunteer in this elephant sanctuary. Um, and so as I was writing the poem, something came to me about the piano. And so that's in here. Um, but really the, the message of the poem is more about this man um, uh, just um, the wonder of um, what he's doing. And the poem is called Paul Barton Plays Piano for Elephants. The piano fountainhead to a congregation of sick, abused, retired elephants. A man's hands skim the keys. Animals stop, listen, flap ears. Reach trunks around to sniff aura of the instrument aspect of the man. Elephants straggling about, free now, shielded. The piano sitting on the dirt in a park, surrounded. Picture it, man playing Bach to a creature large enough to kill him, stomp up his keyboard. The elephant stands transfixed. The man gives bananas at first, to make a good impression. 
It helps them memorize his smell, connect him to the sounds. He walks with a group sometimes, the blind ones. Even if they knew where the piano once got its keys, what would they do? Crush it? This cruel, splendid coincidence. This moonlight sonata under the stars, these behemoths swaying. Oh, that's beautiful. Both the image and the idea. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh -huh. Oh, actually, so I've been able to um, uh, connect with Paul Barton. Uh, yeah, in, all the way in Thailand. Great. Yeah, so we sent him a book, and um, and uh, he's been really just lovely to connect with. He's online, so there's a lot of a lot of videos of him uh, playing piano to the elephants, and also he's got some with his daughter singing, and and then there's a lot of professional piano playing too. Right. So obviously, if we went to YouTube and said piano for the elephants, we'd probably get it. Or put his name in, Paul Barton. And yeah, elephants. exactly. And That's right. Anybody sure. could find it. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. Yeah. That's fabulous. That's great. Well, you certainly did end on a positive note. Good. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Great. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for being here. This has been really, really good. And I think we have a nice mix of poems and tones. Oh, good. For, yeah. the, for our time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So, folks, I'm Charlie Rossiter, and you are listening to Poetry Spoken Here. And our feature today, Phyllis Klein, coming to us from way out there in California. And now I'd like to take a few minutes to tell you about a wonderful new book I've come across. Just before North America began shutting down for the coronavirus pandemic, I got a copy of Lorette Lusajek's wonderful new book of ekphrastic prose poetry. Not to keep you in suspense, I'll say right up front, I pretty much like everything about this book. But let me start in a sort of a traditional manner and say a little bit about Lorette. She's up there in Toronto, Canada, an award-winning visual artist, as well as an excellent writer, and she's the editor of the Ekphrastic Review, a publication completely devoted to ekphrastic literature. And it can be found at ekphrasticreview.net. Like a lot of people today, I am interested in the possibilities for ekphrastic poetry. And I've tried some. And I met Lorette because of that interest. I came across the ekphrastic review online. I liked the poem she published. And I was really uh, appreciative of the visual art she would sometimes select when she would put up something she'd call an ekphrastic challenge. She put it up and, and people could submit. Uh, and then at some point, a bunch of poems spinning off of the same work of art would be published in Ekphrastic Review. And I soon, I didn't know at first, soon learned she's an accomplished visual artist. She's won numerous awards. Her work is all over the country. It's been hung in, mag in museums and galleries and a lot of other kinds of places. She's a, a very activist artist. And so... That's a little bit about Lorette, but now let's look at ekphrastic poetry and uh, and uh, look at uh, the book itself. Ekphrastic poetry, at its worst, is a description of a work of art, simplistically, foolishly telling us what we can already see. 
That's exactly not what Lorette Lusicek does. The best ekphrastic poetry imaginatively uses the artwork as a jumping-off point that lets the poet refer to something somehow related to the art, but new and different, and uh, when it really works, exciting. This is what Lorette Lusicek consistently does. I'm going to, as I do with these things, give you a couple of excerpts you have to decide for yourself. There, these uh, pieces she's written, these prose poems, are uh, a little on the long side, so I'm not going to read whole pieces. I'm going to give you from a couple of them a couple of paragraphs. And I picked two that are character studies because uh, I like them a lot and they remind me of Herbert Hunky's character studies, uh, particularly in his book, The Evening Sky Turned Crimson. You may know that Hunky is the junkie from Times Square who uh, was very influential with Kerouac and the Beats when they met him. They just thought he was a creative guy and a, an archetypal character from the Demi Monde. And so... At any rate, let me just tell you about a couple of these. And the way it works is on her website, if you buy the book, then there's an address in the book. So you can look on the website at reproduction, you know, at a picture that she's working from in each particular piece, which makes it quite interesting. And again, as I said, I love the artist she chooses. So that's an added treat for uh, certainly for me. And it would be for you, too. This first thing I'm going to read, first thing I'm going to read is from a, a piece called Ridiculous Heart. And it's for Tommy Reyes Martinez. If you're like me, you don't know that Tommy Reyes Martinez was a famous ballet dancer in the Cuban National Ballet. And now... He owns, uh, seems to be the owner of a restaurant, Notre Dame de Bijoux, in Cuba. And here's just a piece of this several-page item that Lorette spun off of a portrait of him. Tommy's intimidating, formidable, larger than life. I don't mind. I know right away I'm in the presence of greatness. He radiates from the ruby cotton caftan that melts everything he touches. When his fabulous hand meets mine, I pull him toward me. I can't help telling him I love him. I say it just like that to the stranger about to make my breakfast. You are incredible, and I love you. He is mine. He is my doppelganger, my familiar. Everything he is, I have always wanted to be. Beautiful and tragic, and alive. I love that beautiful, tragic, and alive. That's why I selected that one to read to you, just because right there, I went, oh, you got me. And now we're going to do another one right here. And this is based on an artist whose work I really love. You may also... Jean-Michel Basquiat on the Shelburne night bus. We all move aside to give the dirty man wide berth. There are burrs clumped against his skinny corduroys. 
and the distinct stench of unflossed food particles is palpable in his breathing. No one can escape his pollution. It is contaminating everything. His eyes dart to and fro, jittery and sharp as his filthy fingers. The pipe he is clutching soon becomes obvious. He lights it right there on the bus. That's from a piece called Losing My Religion, and it's based on the painting Red Skull by Jean-Michel Basquiat. Be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rouse, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.